Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks. Great to have you join us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, we're a sports entertainment show coming to you with a sports medicine niche. And the reason we do that is I'm a sports medicine physician, Dr. Dan here with Texas Sport and Spine, coming to you inside our Docs and Jocks studio deep in the heart of Texas. Man, we appreciate all our national audience with SB Nation and all those who may be catching our show for the very first time. And uh, my co-host every week is Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Ferris got a great show planned today. I'm excited as usual. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have on uh, Steve Hecht. Steve has been the uh, coach for the performance coach for the Texas Rangers as well as the Seattle Mariners. He played 13 years of uh, professional baseball. He is a wealth of knowledge. He wrote uh, books called The Hecht Effect, talks all about how you use your mental strength to become a better baseball player as well as better athlete all around. And then we're going to have on 34-year coach Randy Martin. Randy was a uh, 34-year track and field coach who was coached uh, 20 to 30 college athletes, as well as a Olympian, Jonathan Johnson. We'll be having him on talking about what brought him to be a, a great uh, coach with uh, Abilene High Eagles. We had all of that, and then we're going to have on a lovely Miss Tracy Munton, as always, bringing us our mental minute, talking about how to use our mental strength there as well to become a great athlete. And uh, as always, man, our favorite thing to do on our show is talk up to our guests. If you want to contact us and send us your question, your, maybe your sports medicine question, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Send us your, your question through an email form, and what we'll do there is uh, we'll try and put it on air. Uh, I'm not taking the place of your family physician or your sports medicine physician, but trying to get you some advice to get back out on the field again and get ready to play uh, whatever that sport may be. We'll also be talking NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, NBA, lots of sports medicine stories. I scour the news each week for sports medicine injuries and talk about that so you don't have to look at that. You just get your sports medicine update right here on Docs and Jocks. We'll be talking about a lot of the NBA stuff going on right now. There's a couple of crazy injuries in the NBA as well as mm. – Man, the NFL. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Markel Fultz, who's, who's is a very interesting uh, story yeah. in the NBA. What's going on there? And we're talking about what's going on in the NFL. If you missed the Derrick Henry run last night, yeah, that's something you everybody should go back and look at. But amazing, amazing run by the, the uh, Titans uh, running back. 99 yards. Tied our great Tony Dorsett from the great state of Texas, the Dallas Cowboys, last night with that run from scrimmage. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We'll be right back with more right after this short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. Hey, I want to say thank you if you're just catching our show for the very first time. I want to find out more about our show and myself and my co-host, Ferris Potter. Uh, you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can all read all about Dr. Dan and Ferris, find out what we do on our uh, day jobs. Man, we appreciate you being part of our show. Hey, Ferris, uh, at the end of this segment coming up, we're going to have on Steve Hecht. He is a longtime Major League Baseball or professional baseball player. He was in numerous uh, Major League Baseball organizations and uh, man, played for like 13 years, and now he's a mental performance coach as well as an elite hitting instructor. So we're going to be having that coming up at the end of this segment. I thought we could uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about what's going on in the sports medicine world. We saw this week one of uh, our show comes out of uh, the big country area, and that's uh, in west central Texas, and uh, we had Colt McCoy was uh, starting for the, the – uh, Redskins, after Alex Smith had a, suffered a horrendous injury uh, to his uh, lower leg, he had a fracture. And what does Colt McCoy end up doing? He leg whips a guy and ends up suffering a fibular fracture, which is the fracture of the small bone in your lower Unreal. leg. It's the little strut bone. So now we see uh, Mark Sanchez uh, starting, and now they brought in Josh Johnson. Uh, so tell us, uh, what do you think about the Redskins who started off before Alex Smith got hurt as the number one team in the NFC East? And now we see... Uh, 
the likes of Mark Sanchez and Josh Johnson starting for the uh, Redskins? Well, I mean, it's just sad, right? And it's kind of weird. I mean, two quarterbacks, both with broken legs, I mean, in the same season. I can't ever remember that happening. And now, of course, we're hearing that Alex Smith is having some complications. That's getting a little gnarly. Yeah. But, I mean, look, they're not they're not going anywhere with Mark Sanchez um, and the guys they're bringing in. So, I mean, just from a straight football standpoint, I think it paves the way for the Dallas Cowboys. And don't sleep on the New York football giants who are all of a sudden are beating know. people, you they know? I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's crazy. But I feel bad for the organization because they felt like, man, we got Alex. You know, we paid him all this money. He can take us to the playoffs. And we got Colt as a really good backup. And now they got neither of those guys. And who knows when they'll play again? Because, you know, with Alex Smith's infections and stuff, who knows? And with Colt McCoy, I mean, the broken leg, it should heal, but as you're older, when you're older and it happens, we heard Joe Theismann say it, he just could never quite get back. Yeah, Cole McCoy had a fibular fracture, which is the uh, bone on the outside of the leg. It's kind of like a strut bone. It's not a heavy, heavy weight-bearing bone like the tibia is. It usually takes, uh, they're, they're said two to three weeks in the reports. That doesn't, that seems uh, very, very short to me. Typically, bones yeah. take four to six weeks to average to heal. I know this is a bone that doesn't have as much weight-bearing in it, but it still is a bone that has to heal, and typically, i it's, it's four to six weeks. I think he would be lucky to come back within uh, six weeks. So he's going to be out. Yeah, you're, you did mention it. Alex Smith, who, by the way, has had one of the highest uh, passer, passing percentages, pass completions uh, percentage, as well as passer ratings uh, in the NFL. You know, he's always one of those guys that's gotten overlooked. He played for the Kansas City Chiefs, your team, Ferris, and then he, yep. uh, before that, I believe he was with the 49ers, and now he's with the Redskins. But he's one of those guys that always seems to be a slightly underrated, in my opinion. He did have a, that severe tib, fib fracture, tibia and fibula, the two bones of your lower leg. And uh, he is now dealing with an infection post-surgery where they had to put a rod in the tibia. So you always worry yeah. about that when you have hardware in there and you have infections. It can delay the uh, what we call the uh, healing or the union of the uh, fracture. So, yeah, no, it could be even longer for him. And then the interesting stats on uh, Josh Johnson, the, the newest uh, quarterback for the Washington Redskins. He uh, has worn 12 NFL uniforms in his career. This guy's well-traveled, 12 different teams he's played for now. He was a fifth-round pick by the Tampa wow. Bay Buccaneers in 2008. His last start was week 13 in 2011. And uh, it's just you and I have had this conversation many, many times that uh, you can be looking like your season is going perfect and then you're one injury away, in this case two injuries away from having a season that looked like it's going to be tanking. So – they're not only hurting uh, with their quarterback situation, the Redskins, they're also hurting in their secondary. So they've got a lot of different things going on with the Washington Redskins, but it looks like they're the team this year in the NFL that's the most injury-plagued. We saw this with the Texas Rangers in baseball as well a couple years ago, but it always seems like there's one team that this, the injury bug is hitting. And these are traumatic injuries, so it's not something you could have uh, yeah. avoided. But, yeah, no, it's not fun watching the backups. Would you agree, Ferris? No, and it's not. I mean, that's the way the game is played. Although, you know, on Thursday night, we saw kind of an old school game. We saw the Dallas Cowboys beat a high powered team with a little more of an old school game, you know, running the ball, playing hard, yeah. playing good defense and controlling the ball on the run. So I think what we're kind of seeing, and we talked about this off the air a couple weeks. I'm like, if you don't have one of the top, I don't know, five, six, seven quarterback, if you don't have a Patrick Mahomes or a Jared Goff or a, you know, a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers, you're sitting there going, well, we, we hope we get him. We're going to try to get him, but takes two or three years. We don't know if Baker Mayfield's going to turn into that or not. We think he might. But what if he doesn't? You're three years down the road and nothing's happened. Maybe you can try to get a good offensive line, good defense line, pressure these quarterbacks, and run the ball. Maybe that's may, So maybe we're starting to see these teams just fold when their quarterback goes down. They, yeah. They're just done. Right. So maybe they're starting to get smart and go, 
okay, maybe we should just not try that route unless we get lucky and get an Andrew Luck in the draft or something, <laughs> yeah, you know, because right. they're just not out there. I mean, mm-hmm. the four new quarterbacks that are rookies, they've had moments, but they've also had moments where you're like, that dude's never going to be that good, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, they started off really hot. Sam Darnold will be the case, and then kind of, you know, through the season looked okay. Yeah, and Josh Allen. And yeah. I mean, they have nice moments. You go, wow, there it is. And then they have moments where you're going, what are you doing? Yeah, you're out there in Arizona where uh, Josh uh, Rosen is one of those guys, too, right now. So. Really exactly. Know. He'll make a nice throw, and then the very next like ten throws are like, right, can you even throw the ball? Like, are, do you even know how to play quarterback? Because it's yeah. such a crazy, it's so hard to do. Yeah, and you know, Cole is also uh, infamous for a terrible, terrible hit he took with uh, James Harrison. Remember, he was with the Browns, and he decided uh, to let the ball fly as James Harrison is running towards him. James Harrison goes helmet to helmet, catches uh, Colt McCoy mm. kind of up underneath his face mask and lit him up. He didn't knock him out completely, but it's one of those ones when you saw it live, you think, I just may have seen someone die on a football field. It was that bad. Yeah. Decleated him, picked him up after hitting him helmet to helmet fell backwards and he looked like he was in severe severe pain but yeah he was out for quite some time after that one but that's one of the ones when you watch that play you're like oh you've got to do something to protect the quarterback you can't hit a defenseless guy helmet to helmet and he did get a flag for it and James Harrison got uh, fined for it but James Harrison was also the guy that later on said I'm not going to change how I play football so a little nerve-wracking so yeah Yeah, I mean it's those quarterbacks they they are pretty defenseless and we joke all the time about oh we should put flags on them blah 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 but you know when they're stepping up in the pocket to make that throw they they are defenseless I just think I look back to that Cowboys game was it two weeks ago they just didn't give a great quarterback a hall of fame quarterback maybe the best quarterback in the game right now you know they didn't give him time to throw they were just all over him and so you know it makes their it makes everybody on their defense better and then they just you know they made high percentage throws to a really good receiver in Cooper and they gave the ball to Ezekiel Elliott and we saw that on Thursday night that the Titans did similar thing i mean oh. henry went off for what 200 some yards you know Oh, what a great um, run, too. Tied our Tony Dorsett. Of, you know, we're, we love Tony Dorsett here in uh, Dallas Cowboy Company or Dallas Cowboy Country. And Tony Dorsett went 99 yards, famous run from scrimmage. And then uh, we saw Derrick Henry do that. The amazing part of Derrick Henry, he stiff-armed a cornerback, which is it was good. It was nice. It was a cornerback, yeah. right? But then running down the field on the sidelines, he stiff-armed two NFL linebackers and kept them from tackling him while he's tiptoeing down the sideline. That guy has got some serious brute strength. But to be able to, to form an NFL linebacker twice, two different dudes, and be able to run down the sideline after you've already – I mean, he made the defensive back look like he was just a, a toy out there, threw him to the ground basically. But that was maybe one of the best runs I've seen in a long, long time. Is Earl Campbell-esque, if there's such a word. You know, brute yeah. strength running down the, down the field. They said, too, I heard this stat. They said that he got up to 21.7 or 20.7 miles an hour on that wow. run. So not only is he strong, he's big, he's going 20 miles an hour coming at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. He said he got to know Tony Dorsett, too, and the Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, all that whole, the whole thing he did. And so he got to know Tony, or he called him TD, and um, that would be a really cool thing. If that was your hero growing up and every running back wants to have some hero, if Tony Dorsett was your hero, wouldn't that be cool to be able to do Oof. what you're – what your hero did and run 99 yards down the sideline. Really cool run, man. Yeah, the stiff arm is kind of a little bit of a lost art. We used to see it all the time back in yeah, the day. That's yeah. cool to see him. Yeah, he he stiff armed one guy like three times because he'd like yeah. get the get the space, get the space, you know. And yeah, it, I don't know. I I any the parts of the game I saw, it didn't look like anybody wanted to tackle Derrick Henry. It looked like it looked like I hate to say, it, but it looked like Jacksonville's already counting the days till they get to go on vacation. <laughs> I did. They wanted no, and I remember Errol Campbell was that same way. Nobody wanted to tackle that dude. No, nobody. 
And you're definitely not going to tackle Earl Campbell or Derrick Henry up top by trying to grab him no. up high. So that was the part. He's on the sidelines already, running down the sideline. All you had to do is hit him low, and you're either going to stop him or he's going to go out of bounds, right? But all of them tried to grab him up around the shoulder. Or pads. shove him, yeah. Shove it, him. Yeah. He's just too strong of a guy to do that. He actually got away with a little bit of a face mask on one of those stiff arms, but I'm kind of glad they didn't call it because it was eh. such a great run. <laughs> so, Could you imagine? Yeah, no, I can't imagine. Hey, what you can't imagine is what our interview face is going to be with. We're uh, bringing it back. Oh, it would have been terrible. Our, our interview coming up no. with uh, Coach Steve Hecht. You won't want to miss that. If you are a baseball fan, a baseball aficionado, maybe have a youngster who loves baseball, go get him listen to this uh, next interview with Coach Steve Hecht. We'll be right back more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio where we come from the deep in the heart of Texas. Man, we'd love to have you be part of our show anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we have online our good friend, the Hecht Effect, Steve Hecht. Steve was a uh, played in the in professional baseball for over a decade, became the performance coach for the uh, Texas Rangers and the Seattle Mariners. He now runs Diamond Kings Baseball Academy. If you are anywhere in our listening audience close to the uh, Dallas Metroplex area in McKinney, his facility is bar none, one of the best in all of uh, North Texas, brand new outdoor fields, indoor facility, the greatest coaches in the country. So, Steve, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Hey, thank you, Dan. Yeah. How's it going? Hey, Steve, tell us a little bit about what's going on uh, with the uh, right now with uh, Major League Baseball. You know, we see a lot of things happening where people are talking about launch angles and trying to – seems like it's either a strikeout or a home run. You're one of the guys who teaches hitting in a very connected uh, form where you want to really feel – always feel your swing is nice and easy. You know, you played uh, – you and I played about the same era. What do you think about all the new things we hear in baseball, and are they new even? Well, we were talking about launch angle and hitting home runs and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem I have with it is if you just understand the fundamental science is you can't you can't think about launch angle when it's coming in at ninety three miles an hour. Exactly. It's more what have you done? What have you done to prepare so that when you get to your hitting position, is is the ball coming off the bat the way you want? And a good friend of mine um, here, Tim Doolin, who. Uh, had Mookie Betts the entire time from the time he's young. They still talk three or four times a week. He was just here this last weekend, and he said, you know, I talked to Mookie about launch angle, and he he just said, I don't know what they're talking about. He said, I just try and get to the ball in a good position, and sometimes, you know, I drive it out of the ballpark, and sometimes I don't. But he said, I don't know how you would actually tell somebody, hey, consistently get the ball in the air because it's too difficult to think about getting your body in a, in a position to launch the ball while you're still trying to focus and, and actually hit it. And I did hear in the playoffs, uh, Christian Yellick say the same thing. He said, I don't know why they're talking about the launching. You, you've got to stay down through the ball and, and drive the ball. And most of the guys I remember coming up talked about hitting line drives. And as they got older, they learned how to strike the ball. And then, started getting the ball up in the air, but I think it's difficult to teach launch angle because we, you think about we move in the direction where most dominant thought. Well, what what picture does that create in anyone's mind? If I say, hey, let's work on your launch angle immediately, you're thinking about in my mind slow pitch softball, lean back and you know just waylay and try and get it up <laughs> in the air. Yeah, that's very that's very hard to do consistently when the ball's coming 
uh, you know, at high velocities and changing directions and speed. So I don't. I I really haven't talked to guys about it. There are, uh, in my mind, more fundamental things that you have to uh, establish before you can even even get to a conversation about launch angle. And most of the guys don't get there. Yeah. And for me to think I'm going to tackle launch angle when they're not balanced. Yeah. Is obviously you know an impossibility. So. I try to stay away from it. Like I said, what picture am I going to create if I talk to you about launching or getting the ball in the air? Yeah, and two of the words you so, use, which I've heard you talk about a lot, that don't always go together are hitting and thinking while you're trying to hit. And it's two of the things that you talk about, hey, you got to kind of clear the mechanism. You can't be thinking about all the time while you're hitting. You just have to let it flow. But talk about, because you wrote a great book called The Hecht Effect, and I'd recommend anybody who has a youngster playing baseball or anybody playing baseball or any sport, really, to uh, go out and find the book, The Hecht Effect, H-E-C-H-T Effect. And uh, tell us about what you do to prepare yourself when you're going up mentally, and can you hit and think at the same time? Well, a friend of mine I just actually uh, talked to today It's a psychiatrist and played college baseball, and we were talking about that and the speed that you process information in the front part of the brain, the one that makes you successful maybe in the classroom. Um, that part of the brain actually doesn't have the ability to function fast enough uh, to play sports at a higher level um, because the back part of the brain, that, that cerebellum at the back of the brain, is the one that knows how to train and per- perform under pressure, under duress. Well, if you've got a coach that all he does is talk and, hey, you need to do this, get your foot down, hey, get your hands back, well, you get that front part active and it blocks off access to the back part that you need to hit a baseball or pitch or locate whatever it is you're doing, hitting a golf ball. At the end of the day, the, the people truly are creating difficulty for the athlete because we see in pictures and all you're ever doing is talking that those, all that talk is not, is not quieting that front part of the brain so you can get to the back. Well, then it's difficult. And I say all the time, Einstein said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. And if you hear a coach that's talking all the time <laughs> to his players, all my coaches I ever had, by the, the way, dartboard, yeah. is what I say. They're making they're making performance very difficult on the athlete. Exactly. Hey, we're talking to Steve Hecht, lead hitting instructor, former uh, professional baseball player. Ferris, you have a question for Steve Hecht? Yeah. So, Steve, when when guys come to you, is that a lot of what you're doing, trying to make things simpler? Because to Dan's point, as we're growing up, we've we hear coaches all the time: drop this, do this, keep your hands up, put your hit. I mean, so much stuff to try to focus on that you you know your your brain is noisy, and then you have performance anxiety. Is that a big part of your job? Just trying to find ways to communicate with guys that have been communicated with the wrong way their entire lives. Yeah, and I think that the tough thing is coaches they only learn one side, and that's the mechanics. So anytime something's wrong on the mental or emotional side, they attack it with mechanics. Well, the brain doesn't see the energy from those three differently, the, the mind, the emotion, and the mechanics. It sees, the brain sees it the same. Whatever's in the way, if you, if you only know how to correct it with one approach, well, then you don't understand that they're connected. If you put the body in a position that historically says sequentially the swing can work, then you get calmer and your mind gets more quiet. But I've had, I'll give you an example, a second rounder um, out of college with a very good left-handed hitter, first spring trainer that I'd never met him before, and he said, can I talk to you, man? I'm having real trouble, real anxiety with the 
two strikes, that fastball, and then her half. And we went down to the to the tee, and I saw his setup body position. Well, he's got the, the bat laying back behind him so far that I said, well, do you understand you're creating your own duress because of the position your body's in. It's imagine crossing a busy highway with a broken leg every day, and you're going, okay, I can get there, but, boy, it's not, it's not easy, and I'm really stressed about it. That's really what you do. If your body's not in a good position, you create emotional stress and mental activity because the body's intuitive enough to, to know when I get that pitch, I really can't do anything with it. So you end up hoping, hope's not a plan, and then you end up just <laughs> hoping your way through your career. And that's where, that's where I, I try to connect the two. I see when I help them get to a better body position for the way they fire and sequence, they get calmer because the ball comes off the way it should. And I, I'm talking about telling guys that are in the major leagues right now all the way down to an eight-year-old that had never hit, and now he's hitting, or a guy in double-A that said, look at the way the ball's coming off. Yeah, because your body's in a better position, and now you're calmer, aren't you? Yeah, and they're all connected. Yeah, one time, uh, Steve, we were driving home. My son, Steve coaches uh, my son, Caleb Mutton, and we were driving home, and we were going through the notes, and I said, hey, let's try and get to summarize Steve's notes so we can – you know, just have a simple, easy plan when we're looking at each other in the game and we're talking and we're fi- trying to figure out, you know, what works, what does it for you. And so we, this is what we came up with, Steve, and tell me if we semi-get this right. So we call it the three Bs. So Caleb and I, we know what that means. It starts off with balance, exactly what you talked about. You have to, your body has to be in balance or it's trying to figure out how to be in balance when you're trying to hit, which you can't do both of them at the same time. So we, our first one was balance. You're always in a balanced position. Then our second one was bat angle. In other words, you want to be in a good good position where you can drop the bat with that bat angle straight into the zone, make it real easy, connected. So we want to have nice bat angles so we're in the right spot. And the third one was breathe. And that spoke to when you're in that challenging situation, you just want to relax the mind, relax the body. And he takes a big, deep breath and he drops his shoulders down. So balance, breathing, and bat angle were what we summarized from the Hecht effect. Did it, is that semi, semi-okay as far yeah. as summarizing what this the yeah, Hecht effect is? Yeah, that's good. And, and the, the, the fundamental part of balance is the brain's job is to keep you safe. And it doesn't care that you're trying to hit a baseball if you're <laughs> in the batter's box. If you can't be balanced, it will compensate whatever or break down, in this case, whatever it is you're doing in order to reestablish balance. So I tell the kids, if you're on your heels and you swing, the bat will drop because the brain's got to counter, counter the, the bad move you've made to uh, counter and lose your balance. And so, really, there's nothing to really talk about hitting until you get an athlete in a balanced position because the, the survival instinct now is quiet because you're balanced. Now let's talk about what we do next. If you're not balanced, the brain does not care about hitting the baseball. It doesn't. You see some big leaguers I could name, and you'd know who they were. That they get in the box, and they're back on their heels. Yeah, And exactly. some do start on their heels, and then they get, they get um, to a good hitting position, and a friend of mine with the with the Braves, we were talking about this. Every guy that fires, you see creases in the, in the leg in the groin area before they fire. Well, if you don't, they're on their heels. The bat's dropping. The ball becomes secondary to getting balanced first. Exactly. Well, you only have four tenths of a second. The bat's o- the bat's over. Right. <laughs> hey, or you, you popped up. 
Hey, if you want to find out more about getting uh, with Steve Hecht, I believe DiamondKingsBaseballAcademy.com is your website or DKBaseballAcademy.com. But go to DiamondKingsBaseballAcademy, look it up and check it out, man. you got to become part of the Hecht effect, man. It's worked for numerous, numerous hitters and athletes around the country. He's not only a lead hitting instructor, but also a mental performance coach and does both. And I think baseball is a big part of each. So, Steve, we want to say thank you for coming on Docs and Jocks. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Hey, don't forget, too, you get the Hecht Effect, his great book that talks about how you use your mental strength to get better. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports entertainment show, coming with you from a sports medicine niche. My name is Dr. Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, coming to you inside the Docs and Jocks radio studio, deep in the heart of Texas, along with my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University, a longtime sports broadcaster and Ferris man. We are at the end of the segment. We're going to have on lovely Miss Tracy Mutton, our mental strength coach with the Edge Mental Strength, talking about how you can use your mental strength to become a better athlete and have a better overall performance. Won't want to miss that coming up here on Docs and Jocks. I thought we could talk a little bit about what's going on in the uh, sports medicine news. One of the big stories this week was the Philadelphia 76ers point guard, number one overall draft in 2017. He was number one overall pick, I'm sorry, in 2017 at the University of Washington is Markel Fultz, and he is uh, appears to have, in my opinion, what looks like something consistent with the yips. I mean, when you're watching him shoot a free throw, it is a odd thing to watch, to say the least. Well, he has now been diagnosed with neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, and he is scheduled to return in about three to six weeks. They're going to put him through a physical therapy program. So, first of all, let me uh, – I do not know Markel Fultz's situation in any way, shape, or form. I'm just going to tell you from a sports medicine physician who has seen the yips up close from multiple different angles, uh, oftentimes the yips, which can we've had we've had on Dr. Crowley. Probably need to get him on again. Dr. Crowley is one of the premier experts. He uh, was able to cure Steve Sachs and some other uh, lots of athletes who've had the yips. It is a mental condition that, we really 100% don't know why you can suddenly not do a routine, simple motor skill you've done your entire life. You suddenly have a very difficult time trying to do that motor skill. If you've ever seen Charles Barkley swing a golf club, if you ever saw <laughs> Chuck Knobloch try and throw the ball to, from second to first, we did the Yankees. Right. Steve Sachs when he was with the uh, Yankees and Dodgers. Uh, Mackie Sasser, another famous uh, baseball player. It was actually called the Steve Blast Syndrome, who was a pitcher. Rick and Keel. For those who want something a little bit more modern, was a star pitcher for Tony La Russa and the St. Louis Cardinals. He had come up as a rookie. He was a phenom. His book is actually called The Phenom, where he talks about how the yips overtook him and suddenly could not throw the ball at home to home and, and could not hit the catcher. So it, it is a inability to do a simple activity like throw a baseball. John Lester's one Ferris, I think probably a lot of people would know with the Cubs, couldn't throw the ball to first base. We've seen it yep. in basketball players. I had to do a little research on this and see if Markel Fultz is the only one we've seen in basketball. We have seen this with uh, Nick Anderson did it with the Orlando Magic. Suddenly he could not shoot a free throw. He had, had a yips-like free throw, dropped down to less than 40% free throw shooter. And so because it is this mental situation where you suddenly lose the ability to do a simple motor skill, oftentimes players, because it is this thing that you can't understand, you didn't ask for it, you don't want it, you don't know what caused it, you don't know how to get rid of it, very difficult to try and figure it out, you will attribute a physical condition or a physical injury as to the reason why this is happening to you. I'm not saying that the doctors who ever saw Markel Fultz uh, are making up the diagnosis of thoracic outlet syndrome. 
which is a hard diagnosis to make, but it's a neurogenic yeah. crimping of the nerves in your upper shoulder. It usually makes it when you raise your arms overhead, makes your arms feel like they fall asleep or go numb or get you know, heavy. They, they have now diagnosed with the neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. I've just said I've seen people with thoracic outlet syndrome, and the type of free throw he was shooting, the uh, yip-type move he was doing, did not look like a physical condition to me. It looked like the mental condition called the yips. Have you been able to uh, look really? at Markel Fultz and seen his uh, free throws? No, no. My my question was, I mean, he's still shooting the ball. He's shooting it awkwardly. Could you still even do that move if you had thoracic outlet syndrome? I mean, my understanding was it's very difficult to even lift your arm over up that high, but I, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. Yeah, what thoracic outlet syndrome is, is it crimps the nerves in your upper shoulder, and so it makes you, as you do overhead throwing activities, overhead motion, you feel like your arm goes dead or numb. So it could be, it definitely could be, there could be some neurogenic. I hope it is for him because, honestly, I think neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome is a much easier more conditioned and treatable that can able you're able to treat it because yeah. you go through some physical therapy and those types of things. So uh, it would be um, really, hopefully, a good diagnosis if there is such a thing as having neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome as opposed to the yips, in my opinion. Well, a lot of people agree with you. There's a lot of people questioning that diagnosis, mainly because I can't, like you said, I can't remember a basketball player that's had that. It's fairly common. We see it one at least once, usually two or three times a year in baseball. Um, with that, with that, you know, that crimping because of the overuse and the and the continual um, throwing motion with guys at times, but yeah, I I don't know who's had it in basketball, so that's why to your point, it's hard to diagnose, but it's hard to prove it's not that. So it almost yeah. seems like the perfect thing to say, oh, let's blame it on this while we try to figure your head out. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, Dr. Crowley, just to kind of give you the different, uh, there's lots of different theories of what causes uh, thoracic. I'm, no, I'm sorry, uh, the yips. And his uh, Dr. Crowley, who is a uh, psychologist out of uh, the California area who works with a lot of athletes who has this condition, he uh, theorizes that it is your right-sided brain seeping into your left side, which controls your function, your motor skills, your ability to do fast activities. Like a lot of baseball players will say, I've never once ever thought about throwing a baseball in my life. I just pick the ball up and I throw it, right? I've never like thought, uh, where I does my elbow go? Where does my hand go? When do I release it? Those so now suddenly what happens is something triggers it where you begin thinking about it. So now you've got your right brain thinking thoughts, and now you start getting anxiety, more thinking. It's kind of like you tell yourself not to think, and what does that mean when you tell yourself not to think? What do you think? You think about not to think. You so think, Yeah, don't think about that pink elephant. Boom. No, I just I got a big pink it, yeah. elephant right there. So he believes it is your right-sided thought patterns moving into a motor uh, function on your left side that doesn't allow you to do that very quickly and rhythmically. So what we he should does, have him on again. That yes. that's probably on our Docs and Jocks website, right? I mean, that was a yeah, great, great. That was a great interview. That it was interesting how he broke it down, and he, it was interesting too because he was like, I can, I can fix that, man. Yeah, I, mean, I can, I can, I can fix that, and not. It didn't seem like a super long amount of time. Yeah, no, I've seen it up it close, amazing. and uh, yeah, I've seen him fix athletes who have this condition, and I've seen it up close, and it is, it, it is interesting when he does it. He does it through a series of let's kill the right sided thought pattern in our imagination so he gives the yips a visual form you you visualize you imagine the yips as a monster or as something in your brain and then you go through a series of let's kill it let's take out that monster and then once you kill it in your imagination you kind of killed the thought which then now doesn't infiltrate the left-sided motor skill interesting yeah so that was what his 
because you know I've heard all kinds of people say, "Oh, you just need to relax," or they need to be more confident, or you just need to get over it. Well, those things don't work in the yips. I'm just telling you, the people who that the, no, they don't because when you tell someone to relax, now they think, "Well, I'm nervous. I must be nervous." They're telling me to relax. I must be nervous, and so I must be thinking about not being nervous. If I'm thinking about not being nervous, I'm thinking again. Then you think, "Well, I'm like not. we talked about with uh, Steve Heck. The old school way of coaching was, "Dude, just throw it." Quit, quit throwing <laughs> yeah. it bad. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Why can't you throw it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I know. Yeah. yeah. That's the old school. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Are you soft? Throw yeah. it. Yeah. Have <laughs> have confidence. So when you tell someone yeah. to have confidence, what are you telling them? You're telling them that they don't have confidence. Yeah. They really suck. Dude, you're the number one draft pick. Shoot the ball. We're spending a lot of money on you. I know. <laughs> you're letting everybody down. So then their anxiety <laughs> know, goes up okay. and they're thinking about everyone else, you know? So he actually goes through those uh, patterns. He goes, what are you thinking about in this situation? When he's trying to cure the yips, you know, what are you thinking about? Who are you thinking about? So sometimes uh, they might say, well, I'm thinking about the fans that are watching me. He said, well, those fans, do they have bad intentions against you? No. The person say, no, they don't. Then when we know they want you to succeed and you want to succeed, so let's let's take them out of it. Let's go ahead and put them in that in that yips, you know, mindset. But let's just take them out because we know they they really want you to do good. So what you're imagining them saying about you the bad things that's just that's like the monster and so you're gonna put that in a monster form and then you kill it in your brain and then it works that sounds nutty doesn't it but it works it's yeah i remember the interview <laughs> thinking this is like one of those things like this is so crazy it just might work type of thing and yeah. it does work yeah i gotta tell you dr dan that's one of the things that's one of the benefits of being a a average to below average athlete my entire life <laughs> i never was in a situation where anybody expected anything on me so i never had the yips it's yeah. been great but you know, when you talk, you've been around people who've uh, had them. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. Yes. Because you, you, you know, you should be able to do it, and people say, "Why can't you?" And you can't explain it. Yes. And you think, "I may never be able." Like my dream. Like he's got to be thinking, "I may never be able to play again." And I've spent my entire life to get this point. It happened, and now I'm just losing it because I don't know why. And think it's about a this. Horrible place to be. And think about this. Markel Fultz right now. He's the number one draft pick, 2017. Has all these expectations. They spent tons of money on him. He is now does he? You know he doesn't want to talk about it, right? Nobody wants to talk about it. He doesn't yeah. want to talk about it. Nobody wants to acknowledge it, and nobody wants to come up to him and say, "Hey, man, do you have the yips?" Because it's like this dirty, <laughs> it's like this dirty little secret that sits it on your shoulder. It is a bad word. It's a bad word. It's like this this little uh, evil monster that sits on your shoulder that nobody wants to acknowledge. Nobody wants to talk about. No one wants to bring it up because you're afraid if you bring it up, it might make it worse. Where in actuality. Once you kind of acknowledge it and you bring it out in the open and you talk about it and you make it something that's that's actually real then you can really work on getting down to the root cause of it, right? Until you do that, it's this thing that they bottle up. And when you bottle things up, especially in sports, it comes out in your performance because now that's so tightly wound in there that now, boom, it's out and it shows up in your performance and you're not able to do the things you need to do on a quick basis. If Steve Curry thought about his jump shot, it would not be Steve Curry shooting the jump shot, right? He can't think and shoot it. He just has to do it. That's a quick learned motor skill. So you can't play basketball, throw a baseball, hit a baseball, catch a football without you, – you've got to do those things in, in a weird way without thinking yeah. about it. I know that sounds So are odd. they going to do surgery on him or are they going to just, quote, unquote, try to rehab the thoracic outlet? They're going to try and rehab it, and I think that is also a time frame. They An indication, use, right? Yeah. I think they're going to use that. This is my gut feeling. They're going to use that time yeah. to try and help him figure out thoracic outlet syndrome and possibly the yips as well. So is this going to become is this going to become the new the new thing whenever anybody anywhere has the yips they just diagnose them with thoracic outlet syndrome because nobody really knows exactly I honestly what it don't is. Even, I don't even think it's a new thing. I think it's been going on for years. If you look back at most of the people who've had the yips because nobody can explain it because they don't really know what it is and it's a you know the thought process interfering with motor skills, they usually if yeah. you go back and look, they'll usually uh, 
refer to uh, some labral tear in their shoulder or uh, they'll give it a diagnosis, oh, he's having elbow discomfort, shoulder discomfort, and they give him some time off to kind of be able to regroup and then try and come back and, and do their yeah. thing again. But, no, I think it's been going on a long time. They'll try and give – it's. Uh, I believe there's a term for that in the medical world. I think it's somatization where you give a mental condition a physical name or physical uh, pain that you now ascribe that to. Dude, I remember back in the day they used to just flat out say it like, "Yeah, Steve, Steve Sachs can't. Th- he's got the yips." Like they would like the the, the announcers would be like, "I remember who was the yes, golfer? He couldn't God. putt. Yeah, he could make long, long putts, but if uh-huh. it was like a two, like you know how those tap ins, anything yes. like three feet, four feet, or yeah. tap ins. Oh yeah, forget his name. He missed him every time, and they'd be like, "Oh, he's got the yips. Always oh, got the yips. Always oh, got the yips." <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, because golf is where it's originally uh, just, as you know, given a name because they were trying to, you know, people couldn't swing it at, at the club smoothly. And where do you get more? information than in it than golf about hey whenever you start swinging it and you miss one everyone on the course has a mechanics flaw that you then they tell you about and then you start thinking about it. is that not true golf's probably the most other than baseball with swinging maybe there's more mechanics there but i think golf may be the number one swing mechanics is always brought up so now you're talking about thinking about your swing more than any other swing any other place i think that's why golf yeah i think you're different. right i mean i think hitting a baseball's harder but as far as mechanic wise i think there's just as many or more swing mechanics in in golf, you know, and yeah. that, that gets into your head all the time, too. Well, this like is a crazy. perfect segue into our Mental Strength Minute with lovely Miss Tracy Munton, who at the Edge Mental Strength talks about, to athletes all the time of all ages and all different sports about their mental strength. And she's with the Edge Mental Strength. If you ever want to find out how to take a free evaluation with Miss Tracy Munton, go to the Edge Mental Strength icon at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Click on the Edge, do your free mental strength evaluation, and she'll get that back to you. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show recently read a quote that I love. It states, whatever you do, do it well. Do it so well that when people see you do it, they will want to come back and see you do it again. And they will want to bring others and show them how well you do what you do. While this may sound like a great sports quote, believe it or not, it was spoken by Walt Disney. While this quote was not necessarily directed towards athletes, I believe it is a great example of the successful mindset. On the sports field or in everyday life, athletes should always be striving for excellence. Even though no athlete will reach perfection or even excellence in every performance, having the mindset of always giving 100% will help to breed success. Watching people perform what they love to do while doing so with excellence will not only create a fan base, but will inspire others to do what they do with excellence. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes of all ages to develop a mindset of excellence and to remind them to focus on their love for their sport. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about this, you can contact us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, thanks for being with us on our last segment here on our first hour. Remember, we're a two-hour show. If you're just catching us on SB Nation where we go one hour and you want to catch the second hour, go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Listen to our show, our second hour. If you're on one of our stations that carries the second hour, man, great to have you join us for the entire two hours. I uh, want to uh, end on our story here, Ferris, where we're talking about uh, multi-sport athletes. So you and I have interviewed numerous coaches, uh, Gene Stallings, G.A. Moore, Jimmy Keeling, I mean, Hall of Fame coaches at all levels, and they always talk about wanting multi-sport athletes. And so here's a guy, Kyle, Kyler Murray, with uh, OU, with Oklahoma University, who's their quarterback. He is now having to contemplate this situation. I want to give me uh, your take on where you think he should go. He just got uh, drafted by the Oakland A's, and so he's got a big baseball money 
drop coming his way if he wants it. I think it was $4.5 million was his signing bonus, something like that. Or he can uh, possibly win the Heisman Trophy, go high in the draft, and be uh, out there for that as well. So what do you think about Kyler Murray? Should he go baseball? Should he go uh, football? What's his best uh, long-term uh, environment, both financially and as a player? Financially, if he makes it to the majors, it's baseball. They're guaranteed contracts. He could probably get a couple. He'd get a nice signing bonus. He could probably get a bigger signing bonus going as like the number one overall draft in football. But he could be out of the league in four or five years. In baseball, he could have a 15-year career and sign two or three big, big-time big contracts. So I think it goes down to what he, what he wants to do, what he likes the best. Russell Wilson tried both and went back to football, you know. Yeah, and what a great decision to have to make. Do I take $4.5 million signing bonus in baseball, or do I possibly win the Heisman Trophy, go high in football, and have a great career there? Good, good decision to have to make. Similar to me and you coming out of college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, similar to me and you coming out of college. Yeah, multi- Same type of stuff we were dealing with. Yeah, multi-sport non-athletes. So I mean, the only difference is non <laughs> in there. Yeah. So, hey, I want to say thank you for all our wonderful listeners on Docs and Jocks. Hey, remember, if you want to catch us uh, our second hour, you're welcome to do so. Docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Remember, you can always follow us on social media on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, thanks for being with us on our first hour on your sports medicine update show, Docs and Jocks. We'll be right back with more right after this commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, great to have you joining us today. If you missed our first hour, man, you can always go back and catch that show anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N. J-O-X, or you go to our podcast arena, SB Nation podcast, and uh, just listen to that anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Man, been awesome show so far. In our second hour here, we're going to have on Coach Randy Martin. Randy is a longtime 34-year <clears throat> track and field coach. Has trained numerous uh, Olympic, as well, uh, trained one Olympic athlete, numerous college athletes, as well as uh, uh, state uh, finalists and state champions. So you won't want to miss that coming up here on Docs and Jocks. Uh, my co-host each week is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, give us a quick update on what's going on in the uh, world of Grand Canyon University with their basketball team right now. Well, the Lopes are uh, getting set for a tilt uh, this Sunday with the number seven team in the country, the Nevada Wolfpack, then flying down to take on Texas, who's had some really good games, beat North Carolina and had some really stinker games. So we'll see what we play there. Um, And then, of course, the Christmas break. But, uh, yeah, this Nevada game is part of the Colangelo Classic. You know, Jerry Colangelo, uh, an icon here in in all of NBA and all of of basketball, but especially in Phoenix, he started the tournament. And uh, Gonzaga, Tennessee, one versus eight will be the first game. And then the Lopes will play uh, Nevada, the Wolfpack. Interesting team, that mid-major, but, you know, ranked in the top ten. As a mid major, it's interesting with college basketball. You got two mid majors, Gonzaga and Nevada, ranked in the top seven in the country. I mean, wow. that, when we were growing up, that didn't it happen. Never happened, right? Yeah. It was yeah. it was always Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky. You know those types of teams, the Power Five. It's kind of fun to see that you can make it. Now, will Nevada be able to you know continue to hold that like Gonzaga has or not? But yeah, Lopes are they got a lot of new players, so they're kind of figuring each other out. It'll be interesting to see how they play these next couple of games before they get into conference play in January. Yeah, we saw the big game with Gonzaga beating, uh, I believe it was Duke, in the big uh, opening tournament, right? Yep. Yeah, first time they big, ever... big, big win over, and I believe it was in Hawaii, right? And then they barely got by Washington um, uh, just last week, or maybe it was earlier this week. Yeah, exactly. Hey, on the Kyler Murray, Murray story, I meant to mention, uh, do you, who are you picking? OU, Alabama, give us your pick there. Alabama. And then give us, uh, we've got Notre Dame and uh, I believe it is uh, Clemson. So who are you picking in Notre Dame-Clemson? Clemson. 
There you go. All right. I don't think Notre Dame's the third best team in the country. I, I mean, it's hard to keep them out because they're a great story. They're a great, they're a very good team. And they're, I mean, I think Georgia should have been there over Notre Dame. I don't think Georgia should have been in there over Oklahoma necessarily. But I think Notre Dame's taken up a spot that I don't think they technically deserve just because the schedule they played. Last, and that type last of thing. 10 seconds. Clemson, Alabama. Who are you picking? Alabama. Alabama. There you go. You have it all here on Docs and Jocks. Go and put money on it now. And we're right back with more Docs and Jocks <laughs> after a short commercial break. No money. <laughs> You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you join us today. Remember, you can follow us anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks. Also, follow us on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, I thought you and I could talk about one of the big injuries in the news to uh, tied in for the Carolina Panthers, Greg Olson. Uh, suffered a ruptured plantar fascia versus the uh, Buccaneers, and he was going to miss the rest of the season. This has been an injury we've also seen in uh, guys uh, over the years like Peyton Manning, Drew Brees had this. So a ruptured plantar fascia. Let's talk about what your plantar fascia is and how you rupture it and how you heal from it. So, you know, obviously Greg Olson's a big guy. Tied in the in the NFL is probably going to be, you know, 250, 260 on average, maybe even a little bit bigger. And your plantar fascia is that real tight piece of tissue. It, it runs from the bottom of your heel called your calcaneus. You know, your heel, you've had a stone bruise. You know where that happens at. That's the area where your plantar fascia t- attaches What's to. What's it called again? Your calcaneus means rock. I believe that's right. It could be your nickname, calcaneus Munton. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. The well, rock. <laughs> the rock. Yeah. I think that was, that, I think that was taken. On. Yeah. And then it splays out and it goes up and attaches to the base of your toes called your metatarsal heads and so it flares out over there and it stabilizes that big arch you know you called your longitudinal arch so it keeps your foot when you step down on it that tight piece of tissue on the bottom kind of makes the bottom of the triangle if you consider the the arch of your foot the top of the triangle the plantar fascia is the bottom of it and so when you step down it gives you that that buoyancy of the arch if you lose or you rupture your plantar fascia you then put a tremendous amount of strain on your foot as it goes down when you stand on especially a big guy like Greg Olson, put a ton of weight on it. It then flattens out the arch over time. Then it'll start causing you to lose that arch, lose that, that nice solid curve, and you start getting collapse of that arch. And then you start getting things like midfoot arthritis, a lot of different things rubbed together which shouldn't rub together. You start getting a lot of foot problems. We see this a lot in people who have, uh, you have more stretch or stress on your plantar fascia that tight piece of tissue when you have flat foot or pes planus that's called but when you have flat foot it puts stress on there and it'll rupture and there's multiple bands there's a medial band and there's a lateral band and a central band but there's all of them coalesce and make that real tight piece of tissue so when you rupture it it's usually pretty painful you've had a uh, groin injury so you've talked about that on air numerous times you know how painful a muscular strain is this is a ligament strain or a plantar fascia strain i don't know if you want to go into your groin strain right now but you like to talk about that? I don't like. I don't like to talk about it. I know. <laughs> yeah, you don't like to talk about. It. Okay. I don't like to bring it up. Okay. It was, it was. It was one of the worst ever. They say. They say it was the worst ever. Yeah, so. and you recovered. You know, within a. You know, and a lot of people recover in seven years, and you just took five. So that's good. No, I'm just. Yeah. Took five good. years. I'm still working on it. I'm. I'm. I'm about eighty percent right now. Yeah. So he ruptures his plantar fascia. And so when you do that, there's a lot of pain right there at the heel. You usually get a lot of bleeding or bruising. You'll turn. We've ever had a bad, like your groin strain when you tore it. You know, you talked about that discoloration, the blood that filled in there. That That's yeah. bleeding or ecchymosis, we call that in the medical terms. And so you get that on the bottom of your foot. 
And uh, typically, you'll put your, they'll put uh, like Greg Olson in a walking boot. And what they'll do is that that walking boot has a, a rounded bottom. We call that a rocker bottom. So you don't have to push off because every time you push down on your foot, it puts a tremendous amount of strain on the plantar fascia. So that rocker bottom kind of rolls your foot for you so you don't have to push off. And then there's also like usually a, a little bit of an arch in there that stabilizes your foot from wanting to fall so it doesn't stress your plantar fascia. Other people will put like inserts in there so it really molds to your foot a little bit better. It takes a little pressure off of your heel because it's real painful to walk on your heel after you've had that done. And normally it will heal over time without having to do surgery. Sometimes they got to go in there. There'll be a like a few strands still left there. They sometimes will release those. They'll take out some scarring tissue that can sometimes become painful. But normally they'll be on crutches for a while with the walking boot. Then they'll get in the walking boot. Then they'll slowly start transitioning into walking without the walking boot, usually with a good insert in their shoe that keeps their foot trying to stabilize as best they can. And then they start trying to get back into activities once that's truly healed down. But that's kind of the progression of plantar fasciitis, if uh, that makes sense. And you're into to athletes with foot injuries. Those, those, that's the one of the most common ones. Do you see this often in, in like weekend warriors? I'm, I'm thinking yeah. about like the running and, you know, I'm into kind of the barefoot minimalist footwear. The, so it tries to get yeah. you to run more in the mid range or, yeah. the, or the heel where a lot of the barefoot community says, hey, the problem is that the shoes are so cushy. It like makes you want to heel, heel strike, strike, heel strike, heel strike. Yeah. And so when you talk about that, I, I wondered, I wonder if we see a lot of that in like guys who are out pounding the pavement in the old school shoes and hitting their heel repeatedly. Like me. Are you looking at me when you say that? Because I'm a heel striker and I'm heavy and I'm, is that no, I, when I said old guy, no, I wasn't <laughs> looking at you. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, you see this in Weekend Warriors who go out and start doing a lot of running. Yes, I, I do see it. I was I just watched I, here inside of our Docs and Jocks radio studio. We overlooked the Forge Abilene training facility. By the way, it's an awesome place to train if you want to be the one who wants to come and find a New Year's place to train the forge abilene is a great place to be just started with the new general manager olympian jonathan johnson couldn't think of a better place to get get ready for the new year but yeah no i was just like watching one of my buddies work out out here and he had that happen to him and he had it for about six months where he was fighting it will normally put people through like a stretching of their calves a lot of times a tight calf uh, will will contribute to plantar fasciitis so runners who run on their midfoot like you ferris you really start developing really tight uh, calves a lot of times so you want to be doing a stretching program which loosens that tissue whether it's through foam rolling or whether it's through friction massage or whether it's through a stretching program dynamic or static or a combination of the two you uh, you'll see sometimes runners they'll get that little half ball that looks like a little half ball with a flat surface on the top half of it and they'll roll it uh you know that's a it's stretching their heel cord as they roll the, their heel or they pull their foot towards them or roll their heel down away from them gotcha or you can do that in the corner of a room where you stretch it. Or you take a towel around your, uh, you know, your foot and pull it back towards you. Those are all called heel cord stretching exercises. But if your calf is tight, it tends to make you put more stress on your plantar fascia. If you have a flat foot, that also will do it. Or if you have a shoe that doesn't support whatever arch you have and your foot is, that arch is falling every time you heel strike, that will put a tremendous amount of uh, pressure through your plantar fascia as well. So things to think about if you are prone to this are making sure that you probably have the proper form of running. So getting with a good running coach, like what you just talked about, Ferris, where you midfoot run as opposed to heel striking. That is the most common reason people who uh, are runners will get it. They tend to heel strike real hard. They hit right there where the plantar fascia attaches. Make sure you have a shoe that is the correct shoe wear for your foot, whatever that is. You know, so if you're a hyperpronator, you want a shoe that prevents pronation. That's your foot rolling out away from you. So that would be a shoe with a little bit of a good medial arch support. 
if you are a supinator where your foot rolls in, you want a shoe that's maybe built up a little bit on the outside to put you in a more of a neutral foot uh, plant uh, landing pattern. So a good shoe, whatever that might be, that fits your foot, that's probably the biggest thing when you talk about, people talk about barefoot running or running in shoes. The biggest mistake is they just picked the wrong shoe for their foot. You didn't know that we all mm-hmm. have, are different, but we are. I'm a weird one, Ferris. I am a pronator on one side and a supernator on the other side. It's like I've been running on a curb my whole life. I've been making a left turn. I'm, a, I'm basically the NASCAR of the running world where I've been only making left turns my whole life. That's weird. That's a good way to describe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The NASCAR of the running world. You've always been ahead of the curve, though, in your life. So That's what it is. Maybe that's just why you're, yeah. you know, yeah, we went through this, going uh, that direction. I was doing a sports medicine uh fellowship i was i was the sports medicine director so we were going through the whole correct footwear thing with all the fellows so we, i had never been evaluated for the correct shoe wear so i got evaluated and they're like oh yeah you're a pronator because i was i had my left foot out and they were looking at it and they watched me walk with my foot wet on the bottom i walked across paper and saw where my foot landed and then they looked at my right foot and they said oh no no you know you're a supinator so i was like what am i and they're like they did it again. They're like, well, you supinate on one and you pronate on the other. So literally, I'm one one on the one side and one on the other. For me to get the right yeah, shoe wear, I would have to get one pair of hyper, you know, pronator shoes that correct that and one side that corrects supinator. It's really, really weird. But that's the way you want to go, right? Because yeah. the track is always, if you're running, if you're racing, you're going around the track. You're into yeah, the left, I've never so. understood why that didn't make me the 800-meter champion of the Olympics as opposed to Jonathan Johnson. I had the correct feet for it. He just apparently had everything else. Yeah, it might have been, your build's a little different than Jonathan's. It's <laughs> yeah. slight, slightly different. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing you want to do if you're a runner, obviously work on uh, stretching your heel cords. And this is one that always, oftentimes gets left out. You want to have a really, really strong core. Because remember, running is a one-legged stance to a one-legged stance. So when your core, the box of your body, wobbles, it puts extra stress through your foot and ankle. You wouldn't think that, but it does work that way. Your foot is ankle con- foot is connected to the ankle bone. Your ankle bone connected to the knee bone. Knee bone connected to the hip bone. Hip bone connected to your core. That's kind of the way it works. So that's all hey, the I don't know if we have do. time to get into this. We probably don't, 20, right? 20 seconds, uh, yeah. We, maybe, maybe, maybe later we'll get into it. Stretch before you run, stretch after you run, or both? Dynamic stretch before you run, you can static stretch after. But you want to do a warm-up where you're moving type stretch to get warmed up, get your body warm, and then if you're going to do static stretching, I would recommend you do it after after you've already done your activity. That's my my. How come my how come my dog or like lions <laughs> in the wild can just be sleeping and jump up and take yeah, off and they, they never pull it? They die when they six. But we'll talk about that more when we come back. With more <laughs> on Docs and Jocks, uh, your sports medicine radio show. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. It's so awesome to have you today. Hey, remember, you can listen to our show anytime, anywhere at your convenience. If you maybe miss a, a weekly show here, by going to our iTunes podcast at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and listen to our show there. Also, remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. I'm Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Tech Support and Spine, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, out of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. And Ferris, we are very honored to have on a good friend of mine and a good friend of Docs and Jocks, Coach Randy Martin. Coach Martin, get this, has been a head track and field coach for 34 years at Abilene High, uh, where he has been coaching athletes that are numerous state champions, uh, as well as 20 to 30 college athletes who went on to play in college after he trained them, and then one Olympian, Jonathan Johnson, who's been on our show here. Coach Martin, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. 
Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Hey, tell us how your career got started in track and field. Tell us what made you want to go into this uh, endeavor, which you have now done for 34 successful years. Well, my uh, my dad and my stepdad were both coaches, and so I've just I've been around it all my life. Um, when I was a freshman, I, I went to school at, at Merkel, and and uh, there was a there was a, a pretty good track athlete there named Brad Persley. He's he was a yeah. world record pole vaulter one on. time, yeah. and, and was very successful at high school there. And he was he was one of my idols growing up, and so I just I kind of fell in love with track and field then, and and I knew I wanted to coach because that's what my dad did. Awesome. Cool. Ferris, you have a question for Coach Randy Martin? Yeah, Coach Martin. So, um, I mean, you're just getting started, what, 34 years in the business. Um, what What is it about coaching that kept you in it? You got into it because of your family, but then you, obviously you like it. I, I did, and I think I think the, the, one, the one thing that's probably the most enjoyable to me is, you know, working with kids and, and – and watching them succeed from the start of a season to the end of the season, from you know from a freshman to the time they graduate as seniors, just seeing them improve and 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 succeed. Not you know not only in the the gold medals and the and the wins, but just seeing them you know the, the kids improve. So I, I think that's probably one thing that I enjoy the most. It's that's probably kept me around as long as, as I have. You know, one of your uh, track and field athletes, Jonathan Johnson, who's been on Docks and Jocks, he's now the general manager of the Forge Abilene, where he's training athletes back in his hometown. Really, really cool thing happening there. But I heard you give his uh, Hall of Fame uh, introduction at Texas Tech, where he um, set all kinds of records there. Tell us uh, what it was about Jonathan and some of the great ones you've had. You've had a lot of great athletes, obviously, go through Abilene High, be great track and field runners, as well as great football players. But tell us what it was like with uh, Jonathan and some of those great ones. What separates them from the pack? I think with the the better ones, they're you know a lot of a lot of times nowadays kids are they're they're wanting to they're not wanting to put the work in they want the rewards but they don't want to put the work in you know that really wasn't the case with all these uh, athletes that I've that I've coached that have been successful. I mean they were really good athletes. You know Jonathan, great athlete. You know a lot of great athletes they'll. You know, I were good enough, so they'll just kind of get by and work out. I mean, those guys, they they work unbelievably hard, and and I think that's what sets those guys apart. They were really good athletes, but they but they put in the work too. Yeah, absolutely, Ferris. Coach, you ever have those athletes? They're great athletes, but they, but they won't put it in the work, and you just tell them, <laughs> tell them, tell them. How do you how do you get it across to guys like that, or is that just something like that was inbred in a guy like Jonathan that he just wanted to be the best, and when it came to where athletic ability wasn't getting it you know wasn't going to take him the next step he just naturally put the work in or can that be taught you you can teach it but it i mean they they have to want to do it and and jonathan and and those other guys that he ran with on that state championship team i mean they they wanted it they that was probably one thing that set that group apart from from all the other groups that we've had so far they 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 all held each other accountable um they wouldn't let each other slack. I mean, they were on each other all the time if they weren't working. So, so you know, as far as that goes, that was probably one of the easier years coaching. We just had to keep them healthy and get them on a bus because they were going to put the work in. So I, <laughs> I think it can be taught, but I mean, I think it has to be a little – I think it has to be something inside of them too. Hey, you're part of, part of the uh, most famous races in Texas State track and field history. There was a – Four by four hundred, and uh, I know Jonathan Johnson had ran already the eight hundred, and he came in as the anchor of your four by four hundred team. And uh, tell us the uh, anchor story and uh, how you ended up winning that race for Abilene High. Ooh, that was that was exciting. You know, and most people don't know that um, 
Jonathan also led off our our four by one relay the first, oh, wow. first race of the night before before he set the state record. He led off our four by one. We ran forty point eight and got fourth. Uh, but then he turned right around, and got on the track, and then uh, broke and set the state record in the eight hundred. Um, so most people don't know that. That's, that's yeah, a pretty I cool didn't story know that. Yeah, Jonathan, but, right. But uh, the year the year before, we'd gone down there and and come in with the fastest time, and we got second. Um, and then again. Uh, Jonathan gets the gets the baton. It's not one of those Johnny Jones stories, but we were probably twenty meters behind. We were probably in, I don't even remember. I know we weren't winning, and I was thinking, oh great, not again. And this is the mile but, relay. Uh, You're in the mile relay. This is the, this is the four by four. Yeah, the, the mile relay. And I was thinking, oh, not again. We're gonna get we're gonna get second. But as as Jonathan gets on around the track, he's starting to close that gap a little bit. And when he when he comes to that to that final straightaway, he's he's probably about three or four meters behind the leader. I think it was Houston, Washington. And that guy was holding him off. He was fighting him. And I was like, "Oh, come on, get him, Jonathan!" And uh, right at the right at the line, he dipped him. I think we ran three eleven sixty nine, and I think they ran three eleven seventy two. So, <laughs> so it was pretty exciting. We we had already had the the state championship wrapped up, but I didn't tell them that. I told them we had to win the four by four to win the meet. So <laughs> that's awesome. So he, he went and got. I think Jonathan. I think he split like a forty five eight. On oh that, on my that leg, gosh. so that's that's pretty, yeah, pretty amazing for a high school kid. Oh, absolutely, Ferris. How tough is that, Coach? Watching that unfold, and I mean, you've done all your work. Nothing else you can do but root for the guys. How tough is that? Well, you just you just have to trust them, and I, I tell you what, you just hold your breath and you hope. But but I tell you what, those those four guys that ran, I mean, they they have some huge hearts, and and you don't ever doubt them. I mean, especially Jonathan when they were that close. Uh, you know, there's. They had they had to have more of a lead than that to keep him off because he's gonna he's gonna fight you to the last second. Hey, coach, tell us since you train such great athletes like Jonathan Johnson and that whole group. Uh, I think Lyle Young's another one that you've trained has had great success on in college. Tell us what you uh, focus on when you're doing your training. I mean, you know, from those of us who just look in at track and field, we're like, oh, obviously you're you're running him and they're trying to get a good aerobic base. Do you also do resistance training? I mean, what are what is the key? Do you think having a great track team, whether it's sprinters or you know those mid distance runs, to be able to get them in shape, to be able when the time comes to turn it on and run like like those guys? Right. Well, you know, in in high school, most of those guys, well, every one of those guys, Jonathan, uh, Tyree Gale, Sean Harris, Robert Spells, Jeremy Washington, those were the the core five of that state champ. They were all football players, and so all of them were in fourth period football off season and so in a situation like that with with us in high school you don't you know you don't get all that extra i mean they're getting their extra through football so yeah. really when they get to to track workout you're just okay what did we do in off season today we need to make sure you know kind of yeah structure your workouts around what you did in off season so it's a little different uh being a high school coach right. when you have kids that are multiple sport athletes so yeah exactly have fair have a question for coach martin yeah, Coach. Uh, what when when you were uh, back in high school, when you were running, when you fell in love with it, what was your race? What did what did you participate in in track and field? I was well when I was in in junior high. I was I was an eight hundred meter guy, um, and then my uh, stepdad brought a a pole home from school one day, and so he kind of introduced me to pole vault. But after that, after my seventh grade year, I didn't I didn't really like that eight hundred. That was too tough for me, so. I started. I started running the hurdles, and so I was a hurdler and a, and a pole vaulter. Those were my events, and then then I ran it at McMurray. Uh, ran both hurdles, and 
and the four by four relay there. So those I was I was a herder. That that was my that was my specialty. wasn't really fast. Coach the I, the eight hundred. Yeah, the 800, I mean, we're, we're, I, I'm an older guy. We might be about the same age. Man, when I was running track back in high school, the 800 was like a long-distance run. Now it's a flat-out yeah. sprint. I mean, it's a flat-out <laughs> sprint. It is. No question about it. Yeah, and especially nowadays. But, yeah, that was a little tough for me. I, I wasn't that tough. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, because uh, it's one of those races where you truly have to be able to pace yourself. There's a story where my son decided to do the 800. He got tired of coming in, you know, third or fourth, so he said, I'm going to go out and – get the lead at the at the 400 so he ran his best 400 you possibly run and then you just see like everybody coach when you've seen it the monkey climbs on your back baby but that last turn coming around on an 800 just tell us so walk us through for those of you who don't know that 800 race how difficult that last leg of that race is that's tough the 800 i think is 800 has got to be the toughest race in track and field i, I would think because yeah. it's not like you said it's not a distance race anymore and it's it's almost a, a sprint so yeah you know like with our 800 guys and back with Jonathan, we just we kind of broke that race up into four 200s, and so we'd have certain times that would hit at 200 marks. And you know, at the end, that last 200, it's just a stay relaxed and go compete and pray and and hope you get there. <laughs> yeah, pray is a great good word. Hey, coach, I mean, running something you can do your whole life. Do you do you still go out and run? Well, I I used to up until about four or five years ago, and then. Now I've stopped. I, you know, I, I wasn't a distance runner, but there for a few years I'd, I'd go out and run, and I ran, I ran a, a few half marathons, which was which was pretty cool. But about the last four or five years, I haven't, and I've gained about forty pounds again. So I might need to get back out there. And start again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the beauty. Yeah, of- the hurdles, hurdles and pole vault. That's not something you can just keep doing. No, you know, so yeah. the, the running no, part uh-huh. maybe you could, but not that. It is true that right. speed kills no matter what your sport is. I heard it said one time uh, we had a we had a guest on our show here, Coach Andy Stankiewicz, who's a head Division One baseball player. And I was going to see if you felt the same way, but he said he liked recruited baseball players who had played football because he knew that when the times got tough, they weren't going to quit. Do you feel like that with uh, your multi-sport athletes in track and field? If they play other that, sports, oftentimes it's an advantage for you them and you. Yes, exactly. Uh, we we try to get every one of our skill kids, uh, football kids, to to run track just for that reason, just yeah. because we know how hard they work and we know we can count on them. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Well, Coach Randy Martin, we want to say thank you for coming on Docs and Jocks, but it's not often that we get a, someone who's been in the same uh, field and like you have for 34 years doing track and field with the uh, Abilene High uh, Eagles. Man, I want to say thank you for coming on the show and uh, congratulations on your success you've had over the years, and we look forward to having you on again real soon when you win your next uh, state title. All right. Hopefully that'll happen. All right. Go Eagles. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after the short commercial break. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it's so great to have you today. Hey, if you've ever missed one of our previous shows and want to go back and catch it, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com or you can go to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. But, man, great to have you joining us. Myself, Dr. Dan, and my co-host, Ferris Potter. And we enjoy doing the show. If you want to find out more about what we do in our day jobs at Texas Sport and Spine and what Ferris does as a sports broadcasting, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com. Hey, Ferris, I thought we'd jump right back into sports medicine news, uh, talking about uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, this is a guy that we've talked about a lot this year due to multiple different uh, reasons. One, uh, James Conner, the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he uh, initially became 
uh, a subject here on Docs and Jocks after he overcame a lymphoma in college where he played, I believe it was at Pitt, and uh, he was uh, diagnosed with lymphoma. He spent a year away from football as he went through chemotherapy and treatments for lymphoma, a, a bloodborne uh, cancer, and he was able to over overcome that. He was given a clean bill of health. He went back to playing football again. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, hometown kid, and uh, he then gets a shot at playing because Levy and Bell decides to do a holdout, uh, much to the Pittsburgh Steelers' uh, chagrin. And so now James Conner, who we've been rooting for here on the show, he leaves the game, and the initial report was a leg contusion. So I want to I want to just help you, those of you who watch uh, social media and uh, watch the news reports, when people have injuries and you things, these things like leg contusions, um, elbow, what do they call it always? Elbow strain, that's one that we see mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, knee strain. Those are diagnoses that really, truly in the medical world, to someone who does what I do on a regular basis, mean literally nothing. That just means they kind of give you the location of what's injured. But leg contusion really doesn't even tell me where it's at on the leg. Contusion just is a fancy word for bruising or, or you know, you know, bruise. So he has a bruise on his leg somewhere. Well, that, he's a football player, right? That's not even a, an injury that would take you out. So whenever you see things like that, I'm always suspicious. You and I, how many times have we seen elbow strain in a pitcher and then three weeks later it ends up there being diagnosed with uh, ulnar collateral ligament sprain and they end up having Tommy John surgery. Or forearm tightness. Right. Forearm tightness is the one I was looking for. If you ever see forearm tightness, that's just a code forearm word. Forearm tightness. Yeah, forearm that means you're going to have a Tommy John. <laughs> you're going to have a Tommy John. Yeah, so yeah. leg contusion. So I saw that in the news, so I continued to follow the James Conner story, and sure enough, it was later di diagnosed or revealed that he has what is called a high ankle sprain. And so a high ankle sprain, he was rolled up on, and which means a, a lineman fell on the back of his foot, and when it did, it forced his foot uh, to roll out away from him. So, you know, if you're playing basketball and you've ever rolled your ankle, you, your foot rolls in, you know, and you sprain the ligaments on the outside of your ankle. This is the opposite of that. So when you, you do that, when you roll your foot out like that and your foot is forced downward into the ground, there's a tremendous amount of stress that goes through your ankle. And when it does that, it not only injures the ligaments on the inside of your ankle, called your deltoid ligament, your big one, but a lot of that force goes between the two bones of your lower leg, called your fibula and your tibia, and it kind of splays them apart. And it pulls the ligament, or the syndosmosis is called, a big fancy term for a piece of tissue that holds those bones together. And it pulls that apart enough that you injure that structure inside your ankle. And that is a very stabilizing structure of your ankle mortis, we call it. The, the whole ankle is basically a bone, your talus, sticking up between the tibia and the fibula. And those ligaments on the inside and the outside of your ankle and that syndosmosis between the bones, your tibia and your fibula, they all work together to stabilize your ankle so when you injure you have a high ankle sprain the reason it takes longer to come back is that you've had a tremendous amount of force put through your ankle and your ankle is somewhat unsteady to walk on until that heals down enough that you start putting weight on it again so instead of taking a typical four to six week course to heal from a typical ankle sprain you're now talking about a syndosmotic or high ankle sprain that can take you know six to eight weeks so man the Pittsburgh Steelers who were down Levy and Bell and felt like they had a miracle happen when James Conner stepped up and did his thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers now have another piece of bad luck through an injury that uh, to James Conner their star young rookie that's going to be out for a while yeah, I mean, I, I was I was worried about them as a guy who grew up in Kansas City, you know, rooting for the Chiefs. I, I still think New England's probably the best team in the AFC just because I don't think the Chiefs will get it done. But 
the way Pittsburgh had played a little bit there, I was like, oh, man, these Steelers might be really, really tough. But that, man, that really hurts them a lot. Um, and they're they're kind of up and down, too. But, yeah, I, that see, that's where we talked about it, what, a month ago? Hey, if Le'Veon Bell comes back, would you want him back? Absolutely, <laughs> you wanted him back. You yes. Know? For this yeah. very reason. Yeah. And you had a two-headed monster if they're both healthy. But uh-huh. that's going to hurt them a lot. Sure is. So that opens it up again. So we never know. You know, you got to be an incredibly talented team. You've got to get lucky and not get hit by the injury bug. And you got to be hot at the right team. And unfortunately, it looks like right now the Pittsburgh Steelers have not uh, gotten lucky with the injury bug with uh, James Conner going down for sure. Let's talk about some of the other injuries out there in the NFL right now. We see Melvin Gordon, the Chargers running back. He has a grade two MCL sprain. And so you and I, uh, he's hopefully return pretty soon because MCL sprains typically are non-surgical. So a medial collateral ligament is the ligament on the inside of your knee. Remember, you have two collateral ligaments, one on the inside, one on the outside. The one on the inside is called your medial collateral ligament. The one on the outside is called your lateral collateral ligament. And those ligaments are the ones that stabilize your lower leg from going sideways, in or out. The uh, medial collateral ligament prevents it from going out. So if you're running with as a running back and someone comes and they hit you directly on the outside of the knee and force your knee in, that's called a valgus position or genuvalgus position, and that puts stress on the structures on the inside of the knee, and that's where you get a medial collateral ligament sprain. The grade of it helps. The higher the number, the worse it is. So a grade 1 sprain means it's tender there, but there really is no structural damage. Grade 2 means you see some partially torn fibers, some structural damage, but no uh, full tear or rupture inside the uh, of the of the ligament. And then, you know, it goes all the way through, you know, to eventually where you rupture the entire ligament structure on the inside of the knee but most of the time that heals down if you just let it basically the knee be quiet and let it heal down normally doesn't require surgery so that's good news for him how, how much longer will he be gone for do you think uh you know typically from the time of the injury till the time of a medial collateral ligament sprain and you're coming able to come back is about four weeks four to six weeks on average you could come back sooner just once again it's the, this the grade that matters that how long it takes for the healing to occur you can also wear a brace that'll help stabilize the knee from going into that genuvalgus position so they'll typically come back you know a little earlier and a little and they do it with some safety measures of wearing a brace we saw this with uh aaron Rodgers. remember early in the year he had a sprained medial collateral ligament came back wearing a brace and did very well from that so you know it's uh about four to six weeks from the time of your injury to the time you come back with an mcl isolated mcl sprain on average but that is very grading on the uh, expected on the based on the, sp- the grade of the sprain yeah, I mean they're hopeful that they won't need him to come back sooner. I mean they're nine and three. The Chargers. I always forget about the Chargers when I, I mention the top teams in the. NFL. I know. They might be the best team in the AFC, top yeah. to bottom, with Philip Rivers and his experience. If he comes healthy, you know they've got they start the playoffs in in five weeks, um, and they've got the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Ravens, and then the Broncos. Uh, the Chiefs and the Broncos will be tough games just because you know in their division they're always tough. Case Keenum's got the Broncos playing well. Yeah. Uh, the Ravens will be a tough game. They should get by the Bengals. But if they can keep him on the shelf and not bring him back into the playoffs, that would probably be their best. Maybe get him in there for that Broncos game in yeah. four weeks yeah. to get him some reps because they're going to probably be playing the wild card unless they uh, knock off the Chiefs on Thursday night football and, and, and tie for the lead in that division. Well, Phillip Rivers is going to need some rest for sure because he's now expecting his ninth child. Ninth. Crazy. I know, man. He didn't want to stop either. <laughs> I know. He said yeah. he wants his mid, He wants to oh, keep having him. I kind of think that's pretty cool, wife. actually. Yeah, I think he, he's one of my favorite players in the NFL. He's so uh, colorful. And, yeah, we're having nine kids. I mean, 
Woo! Good night. I got three right now, and I can't imagine having nine and trying to stay up with all he nine He loves of them. it. Yeah, seven girls and two boys, or six girls and three boys. I can't remember what it he's is. He's got to keep playing. He's got to keep signing contracts. Yeah, he's got a lot of weddings to pay for with that many girls. A lot of weddings, he a lot of He all the money he can get. Yeah, a lot of winter formals, He's going to, you know, if he doesn't get to a Super Bowl and win one, he's going to go down like he's going to be the Dan Marino effect. He's going to have incredible, crazy numbers. He's going to be thought of as one of the best, but everybody's never going to put him in the top echelon because he never won the big one, which I think is stupid, yeah. but... That's just how we think of it, right? Okay, here goes. Here's a little injury question for you. So we know Philip Rivers has done great. He's been awesome with the San Diego Chargers. We both like him. He's a good, good leader. All those things. He only got a chance because Drew Brees uh, separated his. Oh no, had a uh, shoulder dislocation, had an injury to his shoulder. He gets to come in, and then when he comes in as a rookie, he never uh, relinquishes the position. Drew Brees then obviously goes on. He gets uh, looked at by Miami Dolphins, who said, "No, we're not going to take you because you have this shoulder injury." The uh, uh, New Orleans Smart Saints, <laughs> New Orleans Smart Saints move by the Dolphins. Yeah, New Orleans Saints then say, "Yeah, we'll take a shot on you." And man, the rest is history. Drew Brees is going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. If you knew what you knew now, or knew then what you know now, and you knew that Drew Brees is going to be one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, would you have stuck with him through the injury and played him over Philip Rivers, the young guy, and let Philip Rivers go on as opposed to letting Drew Brees go on? I, I would have to say, look, even looking back, I think they made the right decision at the time because I think there was a significant amount of money on the table. They were going to have to pay a lot more to re-sign Drew Brees, too, and so it kind of came around about that same time. Okay, let's take the contract um, so think, out of it. That's a, that's a great point, but let's take the contract and the money and the business out of it talent-wise who I mean, you go with. Who would you rather no, have I right mean, now? I mean, I, I – you, you common knowledge you say, oh, well, Drew Brees. But, I mean, you, you drop Philip Rivers in the New Orleans with Sean Payton and that thing. He's probably doing what Brees is doing. So yeah. I, think that, I, I think they made the right decision. Yeah, I mean, it's, one I, those, I, well, it's one of those ones that's fun to argue, but you really can't pick a wrong guy. I mean, Philip Rivers obviously done great things. Drew Brees has done great things. It kind of reminds me of when I used to argue with uh, your and I's good friend Brian Hook about whether or not they should have played Montana or Steve Young on, You know, when Montana was still with the 49 Good to have, right? Was there, was there a wrong answer to that question, you know? Favre. Farver Rogers, it's a yeah. problem to have. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's not like the Brady or Bledsoe. Bled, yeah. People forget Bledsoe when he got hurt. He was a really good football player. Yeah, right. And 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 that was a gutsy move by Belichick to say, no, no, we're keeping with Brady because Brady tried to his first season. He tried to blow about three games down the stretch. Yeah, you know, he got lucky with the tuck rule. Adam Vinatieri bailed him out with some really long field goals. But Belichick was like, no, we're staying with this guy. We're not going back to Bledsoe. And yep. He was right, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. Call at the time, it is amazing how those injuries put you in those situations, though, where you have to decide between one or the other. It is weird how the Drew Brees injury. The yeah, Bucks. Lamar Jackson. Now, yeah, I mean, exactly. Flacco's a better player. He's got a Super Bowl, but Lamar's three and zero. Yeah, I know. Um, well. Ask, you Tony, ask Tony Romo, if you get the wrong injury and that a guy comes up and does really, really oh. good behind you, your career might be done. And Tony Romo, you know, there's always a question here in Texas whether or not we would have won the playoffs, went a lot deeper had we played him as opposed to playing, uh, you know, Dak when after he had won all those games. But could you well, pull Well, and Dak? Tony got the shot because Bledsoe got hurt again with Parcells, yes, right? Yep, and Tony was yep. the backup, and he came in. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you would have you would have won the Super Bowl if he hadn't have muffed that uh, extra point that he that he bobbled. What, what year was that when he was? I don't remember that one. I just remember the, the non catch of Des Bryant. That's all I'm talking about. 
He was a that catch. was such a catch. <laughs> Nowadays, it'd be a catch, too. Yes, now, yeah. Today, they it was always a catch. catch. Let's just face it. It was always a catch. I know. Hey, let's talk Everybody about Major League Baseball here in the last minute or so or so of this segment. Cubs closer. Uh, I like that you're still bitter about it, I though. am still I'm bitter about it. All of us here in Texas <laughs> are bitter about that. Cubs closer Brandon Morrow, he's now out for the beginning of the 2019 season. He's going to have arthroscopic elbow surgery to remove some loose cartilage and bone chips called osteophytes in the medical world, basically doing a cleanup procedure of his elbow. But, hey, let's just talk about this from the uh, – National League uh, Central standings right now. I mean, it looks like the Cardinals are making a push. Just went out and got Paul Goldschmidt. Talked to our Arizona audience about, man, well, how good Goldschmidt has been for the Arizona Diamondbacks, for those who don't really follow the Arizona Diamondbacks closely. Yeah, I mean, Paul Goldschmidt, for the last seven years, you, you pencil him in for 300 batting average, 100 runs, 100 RBI, and 27 to 35 home runs and 20 steals. Yep. Every time, and he'll do better in that lineup with uh, St. Louis. Oh, yeah, it's going to be amazing because you're going to have uh, Goldschmidt. Yeah, they went out and got Ozuna, the big hitter from Miami, and then you also got uh, you know Matt Carpenter now move over to third base. He had hit a bunch of home runs last year, so it's going to be an interesting lineup. So that NL Central, which was already a pretty tough division, has got, just got a lot tougher with uh, the addition of Paul Goldschmidt. And now you see Best the division Cubs. in baseball. Yeah. You can make the argument. The Cubs lose with the a little Brewers, bit. Cubs with and Cardinals. Brandon Morrow going out. So, you know, it's, it's tightening yeah. up there in that uh, NL Central for sure. Hey, what's yeah. tightening up here is our uh, timeline for our next segment. we got one more segment here on Docs and Jocks. Make sure you stay with us, man. we got a great show, all two hours of our show. If you want to go back and listen to something you missed, go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. We'll be right back with more of your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Hey, thank you so much for being listening to our entire show today. If you did miss one of our segments or maybe one of our guests like Steve Hecht, a mental performance coach with uh, the Seattle Mariners and Texas Rangers, or possibly Coach Randy Martin, 34-year track and field coach who trained Olympians like Jonathan Johnson. If you want to go back and listen to either of those interviews, you could do so by going to docsandjocks.com or our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Remember, you can always be part of our show as well. Email us your question at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Com. Hit the contact button, and uh, we would love to have you be part of our show that way as well, man. For myself, Dr. Dan, and Ferris, we love having you be part of our show. And uh, really, we do it because of our audience, and uh, hopefully you're getting some good information, too, about sports medicine. Ferris, I thought we'd finish up the show. The uh, injury that is in the news with uh, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, A.J. Green, one of the uh, premier wide receivers in all the NFL uh, early in the season, he had a groin injury, and you know all about that. We talked about that on a previous segment. You've had a groin strain. know how bad that is. It hurts when you cut side to side because of the muscle on the inside of your thigh. He is now out with a torn ligament in his great toe. So I always use this because when you, it seems mm. like when you see athletes who have one injury, they tend to be pretty prone to multiple injuries. It's the old kinetic chain, we call it. The kinetic chain means one you know, joint works in conjunction with the rest of the joints in your body, and they're all tied together. So when you're limping from a groin injury, you can also then be putting extra stress on the opposing leg's uh, to great toe. It doesn't seem like necessarily that would make a big difference, but it does. We see people plantar fasciitis oftentimes limp, and it'll cause them to have hip and knee problems on the other side. Same thing when you have a groin injury. So don't forget when you've had one injury, it can often cause many, and you've had a groin strain, so you better be prepared for great toe injury. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, last seconds. I want to say rest in peace, George H.W. Bush, oh, the tie-in. Yes. He's a Texas boy. He was born in Mass, but made his, his life in Texas. President, did all kinds of things. Played baseball for Yale. Was in the yes. first two College World Series. That's a tie-in to the sports show. So rest in peace, uh, George H.W. Bush. Absolutely. Yeah, two College World Series. Also met the great Babe Ruth. There's an iconic picture out there with uh, President George Bush as the captain of the Yale baseball team. Uh, right before Babe Ruth died, he was presenting uh, the Yale baseball team with some information uh, and uh, there's a great, great picture, but it shows the young George H.W. Bush and uh, Babe Ruth, one of the great pictures out there. First two College World Series, was the captain of the team of the Yale baseball team. Yeah. Was, always attributes his success in politics to the competitive nature he learned through sports. So don't forget, sports can have multiple life lessons, not just the sport you're in. So from all Yeah, of us, and he lived a life, man. He did. Love or hate him, he lived a life. He lived a life, <laughs> man. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks next week. Same time, same show. Love to have you part of our show. Remember, contact us at docsandjocks.com for myself. Dr. Dan and Ferris, so long.